Welcome everyone to Overcome Podcast. In today's episode, I'm going to talk with Rick Mater, a longtime runner and Emmy-nominated TV executive living in Los Angeles. Rick is also the author of the book Six Hours, Running for My Life in the Grand Canyon. And he has an amazing story to share with us about overcoming adversity and achieving goals. Rick, welcome to Overcome Podcast. Thank you, Yuri. Happy to be here. Hey, Rick, uh, I got your book. Uh, very cool. Really enjoy uh, reading it. But I will play like I have no idea about your story because that's what we are here to talk about. So in your book, Six Hours, Running for My Life in the Grand Canyon, uh, you tell your story and how you defy the odds to run the Grand Canyon on your 60s uh, with your cardiac condition. So before we talk about the, the journey itself, Tell us a little bit more about the heart attack, which I believe it happens when you were around 59, something like that. Is that correct? Correct. Uh, I was on a regular three-mile run in Los Angeles, and my running had been a little in the toilet. You know, I'd had to, like, take walking breaks and stuff. I knew something was going on, and I was determined to figure it out on this run. And then suddenly, uh, a half mile into the run, um, my body felt like, it had it was shutting down you know like a car that had run out of gas um and uh i just felt like it was dangerous to even try to keep running and i stopped and i felt a weird sensation in my chest and i just knew immediately it was my heart um so i was totally shocked and i actually walked the rest of my workout um just kind of on automatic pilot mm -hmm. um and schedule an appointment with my doctor who who poo-pooed it because he thought I was I'm a runner, I'm in shape. And then he did Nick EKG and his face went white. I thought I was gonna have to argue with him <laughs> I had something serious wrong. Mm -hmm. But I went back in his office and he was just like said, what is the sheet? And he showed me the EKG compared with uh, like a year ago and it was it was just very screwed up. And he um got me in touch with the cardiologist immediately. And so uh, after a couple of days, I went in and was either going to be open heart surgery or angioplasty, depending on whether they could fix the occlusion, um, which was my LAD, which is the, the artery known as the Widowmaker. So it carries 50% of your blood. It's the most dangerous artery to have a problem with. Um, so long story short, I, 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 my cardiologist told me the only reason I didn't suffer a major fatal heart attack was because of distance running. And he showed me on a CT scan that when you do distance running or any distance sport, you know, swimming, um, cycling, um, uh, your body builds up additional blood capacity. So around the occlusion, which was complete, which should have been fatal, a fatal massive heart attack, there were all the these little ancillary blood vessels and they got just enough blood around the occlusion for me to survive and so I had the angioplasty and I have a chapter on that called your angioplasty would be televised this is a little bit of an in-joke since working television <laughs> but um, the the uh, you know they give you minimal anesthesia and you actually can stay awake 
you, you know, if you choose. And I wanted to know the results as soon as possible. So I made sure to stay awake. And there were these two monitors that the two cardiologists were working off. And I could see them kind of like rotor-rooter mm-hmm. the occlusion. And then I could see it breaking up. And it was like, thank God. Um, and I had young kids at the time, you know, married. Um, so uh, I relaxed. And, and the doc, the cardiologist confirmed that, uh, yeah, we're, we're, you know, it's working. Uh, we're going to put the stents in. I had three stents put in, and uh, you're not going to need open heart surgery, which of course is way more risky and it takes weeks to recover from. Yeah, in the book you you said I pride myself of my health, so I'm pretty sure that you were very surprised about that. Um, did you ever got like an accurate diagnostic of why this happened in the first place? Yeah, well, I knew. Um, and when I talked to the cardiologist about medical history, the, my mother had pulmonary issues. So I, I, I'm a member of an organization called Cardiac Athletes, and it's international. Uh, it's, ba- it's based in Australia, but it's also the, also the UK, uh, New Zealand, um, uh, Canada, and the US. And I only joined that in the last couple of years. And it's, and, and, but the, the point is that everybody there had hereditary heart conditions, you know, cardiac issues. So everybody's an athlete. Everybody's just some of them are almost world class. I mean, they're they're serious athletes, and some of them are only in their thirties and forties. But what we have in common is we all inherited cardiac issues, no matter healthy diets, no matter exercise. Um, and it's a it's a support group, which is because we've all chosen to go back to our sport often against the advice of the medical community. But did you join this uh, organization after the heart attack or before? Oh, after. It's, it's, it's been recent. I just thought I'd give them a shout out because um, if there's anybody listening who has cardiac issues and who's a runner or a cyclist, or, um, it's a really good organization to check out because it's all people in the same boat. Because mm-hmm. when, when you get hit with something hereditary and you're eating healthy, and you're exercising, and you're not overweight, and you're not a smoker. It really can come out of the blue. But what you are, um, were you aware about your hereditary conditions before you had that problem? In other words, were you at, expecting that at some point this is going to hit you? No. And truthfully, about six months before the heart attack, I was going upstairs at our house and suddenly felt kind of faint. And and this, I think, is unfortunately what a lot of people do. And I said, I don't want to know what that was. When in fact, if that happens, it's just the opposite. You need to find out what that was. And and uh, um, I should have gone into a doctor, had a you know, a treadmill test. And be- because if you wait too late, you can have a fatal heart attack. Mm-hmm. But but people. it is like a normal type of faint? Can you just think, well, I'm just tired or I didn't recover well? How do you determine if it is something that needs to be addressed or if it's just because you are exhausted? Well, I knew I wasn't exhausted. I mean, I think unless you're dehydrated or something, you know, where where it makes sense that you would feel faint. Um, if it's If there isn't anything like that going on and you just suddenly feel faint out of the blue, doing some mild exercise going upstairs that's the potential warning sign Mm -hmm. and that was six months before you had the heart attack yes 
because the the LID was already getting included. And then the cardiologist thought that maybe a piece broke off right before that run mm -hmm. and finished the job and completely occluded the artery. You know, it went from maybe 70% to 100%. And you were always a runner before, even before that event? Were you running for how many years now? Um, I started in high school. I was a miler and ran cross country. And then I lettered in cross country in college. But then I stopped running um, for years. And I went back for a couple of years in the 1980s. Um, and, uh, and I had some, you know, I was doing 5Ks and 10Ks and, and pretty serious about it. Um, you know, I, I, I think my story is a, is a much more of a, an average or typical runner. Mm -hmm. You know, my best 5K um, was 18 minutes and change, you know, which is respectable, but it's not, you know, <laughs> <laughs> not world class. Um, and um, but then I stopped again. I actually overtrained. And um, I ran a marathon, but I overtrained for it, and you're, it just took all the fun fun out of it. If you train, if you if you're not using a coach or or, or even paying attention to like a good book like Jeff one of Jeff Galloway's books, and you go from running a few miles to running 60 or 70 miles a week, it's not a smart idea. So I wound up stopping again until um, 1994, and, and and I decided to go back to it, and then I I, I haven't stopped since then. Awesome. And it's a good thing I went back because, because it was if I wasn't a runner, I wouldn't have had the ancillary vessels. I wouldn't have, uh, uh, you know, if I was just, you know, um, sedentary, mm -hmm. I still would have had the same medical thing happen. Only would have been fatal. Yes, so I would have died at fifty-nine. Yeah. So running saved your life, basically. <laughs> yes, it did. Uh, and and now you had this, you went through this, and then came the idea about the Grand Canyon. Is that what happened? What? Well, that was some years later. After I had the angioplasty, I actually went back to even racing. And I won my age group in like a 5K. Um, but then, you know, at some point racing, your performance it drops as you get older. Plus, I had um, lasting damage. The heart attack um, took out maybe 10% of my heart muscle. And there was also an additional um, artery, the circumflex artery, that was blocked, but um, wasn't judged worth you know, going in and, and uh, fixing. So I had lost a bunch of my capacity. And what happened was, I have a cousin who goes to the Grand Canyon every year with friends and hikes it. And he invited me along, and I went. And partway through the hike, I just started thinking, this would be really cool to run. And you're not faced with trying to replicate a time from when you were younger. Like I ran when I was 64, so you're not, um, you know, because if you run a marathon or, or a 10K or whatever, at some point, like I said, your, your time's going to get slower. And I had additional cardiac, you know, damage. Um, and that's what gave me the idea. And, um, and then... I was going to run it immediately, but I had another tread, my annual treadmill test, partly because my wife was not crazy about me running the Grand Canyon. Um, and, and I was surprised to discover I was back to 80% occluded in the uh, Widowmaker. So I had to have another angioplasty. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I had to delay for a year running the Grand Canyon. But then I, you know, I trained up and I, and I ran it uh, the following year. 
did your doctor in encourage you to keep running or he asked you to slow down and take it easy? <laughs> well, the original cardiologist um, told me it was to hang up, time to hang up my running shoes. And, um, you know, that's, a, that's in the book. And my response was to get a second opinion. And I found a cardiologist who worked more with athletes and just runners and he was an avid, avid cyclist so the deal we struck was basically if I didn't run more than 10 miles and oh you know and was caught careful etc first I had to start with exercise walking but then go back I went back to running pretty quickly so he was he was supportive if you know he was always a little concerned but but he, you know I wasn't the only patient he had who went back to to running so that was good. But I know from cardiac athletes, especially in countries with managed healthcare, uh -huh. like England, I guess Canada, um, people get stuck with someone who who may be adamantly saying, yeah, you got to stop running. And it's really, t it's hard to work the system and get another cardiologist advice. Yeah, yeah it's I, hard to get another a second opinion about that, right? Yeah, but I strongly encourage people to do that. I think one thing about the, the book is uh, one one reason I wrote it is it's directed to cardiac patients and there's something like 28 million in the United States and that your life doesn't have to come to a stop and exercise doesn't have to come to a stop. You know, um, I think just the opposite. Uh, I mean, obviously in consultation with a doctor and right. being careful how you do it, but, but especially if you were already exercising and if you weren't, mm -hmm. start. You know, like just with exercise walking or um, I, I mentioned Jeff Galloway. I went to a training camp of his in, back in the 90s and he he's the most prolific American running author. Um, he, uh, he was a former 10,000 meter champion. He was on the US Olympic team. Um, and he, he adopted the, the walk and run method. You know, there's been a real change in exercise from when I was coming up in cross country in college, you know, the old no pain, no gain thing. Mm -hmm. That's really old thinking. And so if, if someone listening is interested in, in um, going back to exercising, pick up a Galloway book. His newest one is called Running, <laughs> Running Until 100. Because <laughs> <laughs> we've all gotten older, including Jeff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he's, he's uh, you know, so he's, he's a good coach and, and you know it's it's you know the way to do it now is you go out and you you know do some walking jog until as long as it's comfortable go back to walking jog some and eventually you can build up and this particularly applies to you know, people over 50 or over 60 or over 70. So when you were training for the Gain Canyon did you do any special type of training since you had that condition or were you doing things that you've done all the time when you were preparing for for racing or just long run? I did what I always did. Um, there's a, I'm in Los Angeles and there's a mountain called Mount Wilson here. Um, it's actually where all the TV towers are. Um, and the from the bottom of Mount Wilson to the top is 5,000 feet, which is about what it is from the south rim of the Grand Canyon to the River Gorge. So I did some work on, on Mount Wilson, um, uh, and I like to run hills anyway. So, so I just, 
you know, my, my training focuses on a long run on Sunday. So I, you know, you don't run as far when you get older. So, but I run a couple of times during the week and then Sunday, the Sunday long run is what keeps you able to run your age group in races and stuff. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, I go out and do seven to 12 miles on Sunday. So that's, that's the real key to, and that'll be in Galloway's running books, you know, all that's really the standard focus now, especially if you're not an elite athlete. And as far as time, how long it takes for you to run that much? Uh, well, it's not about the time. It's more about, because eventually I stop tracking mileage in terms of pace. Um, you know, you go, I went through a change where, uh, though I did have a time goal for the Grand Canyon, so I was more focused on it back then. Um, but I mean, I was running a marathon, I was doing eight minute miles back in the eighties running a marathon, but it's, you know, it's, it's slow. No, yeah, yeah, but I'm, but I'm talking about as you were leading up to the Grand Canyon journey, uh, were you training like uh, three times a week, one hour a day? That's what I'm trying to find out. Or how, how was the regimen as far as time that you were pushing uh, to get ready? Then it would be more like, you know, like 45 minute runs two or three times a week. And then, um, like a two hour run on Sunday, mm-hmm. two and a half hours. Like I said, it's more about, it's more about the time, the amount of time that you're, you're doing it rather than getting locked into a certain distance. Um, and, and obviously the Grand Canyon, the ascent is incredibly tough. So you need to do, um, you know, hill work. Yep. or mountain work and like I said I happen to, to really enjoy uh, I love I love trail running and, and uh, it's easy for me to do in Los Angeles there's canyons you can do trail running you can go up to Mulholland or up uh, Mount Wilson um, because the Grand Canyon is kind of the ultimate trail run it's a uh, I when you did the Grand Canyon what, what season was it was spring uh, fall it was early June and oh and actually, so it was summer well it's the beginning of summer and you raise a really good point and I go into all that in the book um, because there are dangers associated with running the Grand Canyon um, though most people that die in the Grand Canyon and sadly there's several people every year it's more from falls oh you know, wow they're clowning around um you know, by the edge, or they're on ooh-ah point. Uh, tragically, a woman just died. She's only in her 30s, um, and she fell from ooh-ah point. It's, that's the first, it's in the book, it's the first place where you can get a really good vista of the canyon, but it's very small. And I won't go onto it unless there's no other people on it. And she literally got bumped by somebody and fell to her death. Oh my goodness, um, wow. And, and so I think we've got enough time to, to go into a little bit of this, but there I do tell the story of Margaret Bradley, um, which points out how important planning is. And then we just remind me we need to do the time of year. But Margaret Bradley was a young potential Olympic uh, marathoner. And in, in the earlier 2000s, her picture was actually at the top of um, the Bright Angel Trailhead. Um, and it said, can you run the, could you run the Boston Marathon? It was her running the Boston Marathon. And then it had the dates of her, her life, mm-hmm. birth and death. 
and and she and a guy went down the Grandview Trail, which is a little um, east of where I ran, and they were thought they were doing a 16 mile run, you know. And like I said, she was an elite athlete, and they had a couple quarts of water with them, but it actually they misjudged the distance and it was actually 26 miles and they went down too late in the morning and I'll come back to that they went down at like 10 or 11 o'clock and when you get down to the Tonto they didn't go down to the all the, the Tonto trail runs along the top of the uh, river gorge it's like a thousand feet above the river um, but it's I, I think they were it was there they were there in the summer the real summer and literally it, it can be 110 degrees yeah it's cool so there is the dehydration problem as well yes and and uh, to wrap it up i mean she went on ahead um you get crazed from dehydration she tried to make her way down to the colorado and she got stuck on a dry um stream bed at a cliff like a waterfall a dry waterfall and um that's where they found her you know curled up and, and she died the the importance of that story is that if if you run the Grand Canyon, you just need you need to take appropriate safety precautions, including someone needs, especially if you're running it solo, if someone needs to know your plans. And Margaret Bradley and her friend, um, nobody knew their plans, so nobody knew to look for them. Um, and then, in terms of time of year, the best time is May or early June or September. So it's um, because the South Rim is 7,000 feet. So you get snow pretty late in the year. So you want to go um, after snow, but before you hit the mega heat mm -hmm. of July and August. Um, and I went down early, which is another way to beat the heat. So you run at dawn, so say 5 a.m. So then you're down in the gorge, down at the river by say 7 a.m. And, and it's literally in the 70s. Now, by 1 or 2 o'clock, it's going to be 110. Oh, wow. But, yeah, but it's dry desert heat, so it gets really cool at night. So if you get down to the gorge and you run the gorge and you start coming back up um, early in the morning, then, yeah, it'll hit 80 on the way up, but you're, you're out of the gorge. And, and that's why if you run rim to rim to rim, which I didn't do, I ran down and then back up so it was 17 miles but there are people that run south rim to north rim and back to the south rim and that's 20 plus miles but it also necessitates going back down to the gorge when it's really hot <laughs> yeah <laughs> like 105 or 110 degrees um but if you go like i said uh, you know like middle of may to very early june um or september before the snow starts and it can snow pretty in like October or even late September, um, that's the safest time to do it. So you did this whole thing solo, and uh, but you had like a support group that knew where you were, the the itinerary and everything. That were or you were just went on your own, and let me try uh, this. Just, just my family, my family, uh, my wife knew, and I promised her I'd call her as soon as I got out of the canyon. Um, but you just as long as you have somebody that knows what you're doing. And, you know, um, but no, I just, I, I, uh, carried water with me. Um, um, you know, I carried a day pack with like five bottle waters because actually the trans Canyon pipeline had broken like, um, 
the day before or two days before. I have the exact information in the book. The Trans Canyon uh, pipeline takes water from from below the north rim. rim. There's a uh, a torrential spring that feeds water, and it was built in the 1970s. And it takes water all the way down and then all the way up to um, Bright Angel, along Bright Angel Trail, up to the hotels and stuff at the top of the south rim. So it's the it's it's um, it, it, you know that this it's incredibly important. Unfortunately, it, it was built out of aluminum and it's pretty old and it suffers breaks. And that means that the reason to do the course I did, just to back it up, I took the South Kaibab, which is like a little east of the Grand Canyon Village and Visitor Center. Take, it's a ridge trail. It goes along the ridge line all the way down. That's Cedar Ridge, Skeleton Point, the tip off. Um, you go along the river and then you come up Bright Angel and Bright Angel has water along it. So that's why it's important to come up that way from the Trans Canyon Pipeline. Uh -huh. So there's a couple of rest places. There's Indian Garden, um, which I just saw an interesting item online because I talk about the Native Americans in the canyon and it's going to be renamed. Um, I believe it's after the Havasupai. It's going to be Havasupai Garden. This literally just happened. Oh. They're going to have to change all the maps. But so you can get water though, so you can take water breaks on your way up. Um, but I knew there was there was a break in the pipeline. I didn't know if it was going to be fixed, so I made sure to take enough water um, that I could make it without you know mm -hmm. getting any. And and, and throughout the your running, there was any moment of like deep reflection that you you stop and you just contemplate things and you were super thankful that uh, you were able to do that or it, it was any stress moment that you were like what am i doing here so tell us a little bit more about those feelings as you went through this yes and i do get into that in the book that happened on the ascent um, because um, my first cardiologist said that running the one that told me not to run anymore that it was a risk factor now for another heart attack or a stroke and um, my wife was a, a registered nurse, so she knew all about that. Um, so yes, and there's, I actually track that in the book because people of a certain age, I think over 60, certainly people I know, people look back on their lives, you know, when you get older and you reflect. And especially when you're faced with potentially stroking out, you know, because it was brutal coming up. Um, and, um, and in the end, I mean, spoiler alert, I remember I was, my goal was six hours because a young blogger, like a guy in his 30s, had, had posted that he did it in, in uh, under six hours. So I thought, okay, that'll be my goal. Uh, by the end, I decided, I don't care if I break six hours. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to get out of here in one piece. I want to see my wife and kids. I just want to finish. I just want to finish. Um, and plus I was feeling really crappy. It was only after I got out that I realized I'd made the rookie mistake of my first marathon, which was I had all this water with me, but I only drank a little bit of it. And in distance running and marathons, the first rule of thumb is drink before you're thirsty. Oh, I didn't know that. Did it, what is the rationale behind that? Because then you're, because otherwise you're playing catch up. So if you're, mm. if you're taking water and you're running a marathon, you should be doing it, not every mile, but you know, starting at mile five or whatever. Take water regularly so that you don't get in deficient, you're not deficient in terms of hydration. 
Um, so I made that mistake when the first time I ran the Grand Canyon, and I didn't have any power gels or anything with me. Um, so, so bottom line was I went back the next year, and and I ran it and broke six hours. But I had Gatorade with me, <laughs> power gels. You were more prepared. You were more prepared. Yeah, I couldn't believe it when I got out of the canyon. I, just got, I feel like I felt when I ran my first marathon. Oh my God, I just I I made the same mistake that I made back then. So I felt like a bit of an idiot. Um, but then, what, 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 when you look back, why did you think you, you made that mistake? Because you were experienced. You've done many runs in the past. Were you anxious or nervous? Uh, that uh, what what led led you to that mistake? You think? I that's a good question. I don't know. I hadn't. I just spaced out or whatever. I mean, I couldn't believe I did it because it was such a rookie mistake. Um, and I don't drink a lot of water normally in runs. Um, I tend to I hydrate after a run. I always have water with me, mm -hmm. like for a long run. But I don't drink a lot of water, um, and I'm usually fine. But but if you're doing something as strenuous as the Grand Canyon, because the elevation, actually the, the steepness of the incline coming up on Bright Angel is just, you know, it's like 30%. It's, it's brutal. Um, it's a very steep, especially the Devil's Corkscrew. Um, Were you running at that point or walking? I was running, but I knew I was going to have to power hike hmm. sections, even, even elite runners. There's a, if you're doing the Grand Canyon, you can't run all the way from, from the river to the South Rim. You know, there's portions where um, it's incredibly steep in a few places, and then, but other places like Indian Garden, you run. So, so you just need to, uh, and any ultra marathoner, you know, that's the way they do it. Um, the book has a good blurb from Dean Carnazes. Um, he wrote a, a really big bestseller called Ultra Marathon Man, and he gets into all that. Where, yeah, you know, the longer the distance, the more you kind of mix. Um, walking or hiking with running you know there's a point where where you need to do that um, but he gave me a blurb um, that's on the cover I was gripped and deeply moved by the story of human triumph uh, Dean Carnazes ultramarathoner and New York Times best-selling author and I didn't know him I just reached out to him and I'm a huge fan of his book um, ultramarathon man uh, it's just uh, if anybody wants a motivational book for ultra running it's it's very tongue-in-cheek <laughs> it opens with him on a run in northern california ordering pizza um from whoever it was that would deliver to a street corner like he met them he met the guy in the middle of the night <laughs> you know <laughs> he's like eating pizza and he's running 100 miles or whatever but but rick uh the book the idea about the book came before you start running or after or even before you start, you already have this project in mind that you want to do it? Uh, no, it was after. I thought I was going to just write a short story. Um, but then um, I decided to do the book. And I was inspired by, by Cheryl Strayed's Wild, which became a movie. That's the, the woman doing the solo hike on the Pacific Crest Trail, you know, from like Southern California to Portland, Oregon. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's a terrific book. I mean, I highly recommend it. Um, and, and I decided, no, I want to write a book and I'll shop it after I finish it. You know, uh, I'm not going to try to get a publisher ahead of time. Um, so it's something I did in the last few years. 
but the book is based on your first experience uh your first run at the grand canyon or based on the second one because you did it like almost like one year after the other right right no it's it's on it's it recounts in detail the first time oh the so first it, time it, so it's based on the first experience right right and the epilogue brings everything up to date including the second time and some hikes i've done um but it it's it interweaves uh, the geology of the grand canyon mm -hmm. because it's fascinating because um and actually the geology in college i never thought it would be useful for anything um but when you run the grand canyon when you start on the south kaibab you're you're running through 300 million year old kaibab limestone which which originally was part of pangaea which was the last supercontinent mm -hmm. and um and on your way down to the river gorge they now identified four supercontinents you know pangaea is why when you look at the map why africa and south america fit together you know because they were once together so you're going through pangaea and then you're literally just doing this journey through geologic time um down to the vishnu schist in the river gorge which is 1.6 billion years old and that was the uh that's four supercontinents ago columbia which like i said it was only recently um figured out and that was before there was life on land um, a much smaller amount of land than there is today but you but you're going through this this all these layers and that journey through time which is fascinating um you know like like pangaea is where um it was the age of the dinosaurs but that's where the first mammals were so to me it's kind of like atlantis yeah it's fascinating it's really yeah yeah it was like the origin of of humans because we're just you know we're part of mammals mm -hmm. so um it's the first mammals and then it split up and the dinosaurs went off in different directions um and the mammals um uh so you it's a fascinating journey when when because all this land on the way down to the bottom of the grand canyon should be buried deep in the earth but here it's exposed all around you do you think that the heart attack led you to to the grand canyon or you would do the grand canyon regardless of the heart attack because it, it feels like you really wanted to challenge yourself i'm not sure if that was the motivation uh but um what, what do you think that's a good question i never thought about that um i well the heart attack is certainly a factor because like i said there was a loss of certain amount of cardiac muscle and blood flow so so what really what i really liked about it was it was a way to challenge yourself or challenge myself without trying to replicate something that you you know a time that you achieved when you were 30 right. or 40 or you were living a new experience you were challenging yourself with something completely new so that's that's is a huge motivation for you right uh, yeah and it was a way to challenge myself like like I said where it's i mean i call it this chapter called a race without mile markers i mean because it was a race because i had a time goal um but it wasn't a race that I'd run before. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like uh okay, I'm going to run a marathon and and I'm older now and I have cardiac issues, so it's going to be, you know, 30 minutes slower or whatever. So that was what was cool about it. It was like it was original um and it's just so iconic. I mean, the Grand Canyon is, you know, just a gorgeous um 
gorgeous place. And something like 6 million people a year visit, but less than 10% go below the rim. And most of those only just hike a little, a little way down. So it's, it's not something that a lot of people do. Um, but it's, you know, if you're smart about it. Yeah, but, but before you reach into the conclusion that you were, you were going to run the Grand Canyon, did you think about other places in U.S. or even outside of U.S. to run? Um, no, I mean, I do some, there's a mountain in Northern California called Mount Tam, Mount Tamapias in Marin, just north of San Francisco. And I like to run Mount Tam. Um, and it's a standalone mountain. So it's really, you're up, when you're up there, it's wonderful views of San Francisco, the Pacific, of the interior. Um, and there are other canyons, or Bryce Canyon or whatever, that could be. But the Grand Canyon is kind of the ultimate canyon mm -hmm. in the world, really. Um, so it's such a, it's such a, and it's the ultimate trail run. And it's actually really risky because uh, I talk about it in the book. The, the trail is held in place by what I call cross trail logs and it's rutted in between them. So you, it's, it's kind of like running down through like a, like a, like an obstacle course with tires where you have to kind of bump, 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 bump through the tires. It's kind of like that because you have to be really careful about tripping. And I was also on blood thinners. So if I tripped and hit my head on one of the cross trail logs and had um, internal bleeding it's potentially fatal so so you know I had to be and you don't want to fall off the trail in dangerous places so it's 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 challenging but if you love trail running and a challenge um, you know it's a potential uh, thing to do yeah I, I, I'm <laughs> just yeah I'm just surprised that since you've been running for so long you postponed that trip to the canyon to run for so many years right so that's why I when I look at that, I say, well, probably the heart attack really motivated him to, to go to the next, to this extra level. Yeah, and it was just also just that my cousin had invited me to go on this hike and I was with, um, there were like 15 of us, but they took a break on Cedar Ridge, which is maybe a mile and a half down on the South Taibok. And I told him, you know, if you don't mind, I'd kind of like to go on ahead. And I wound up kind of experimenting with running, mm. you know, uh, you know, further down, trying it out, like how would this work? Um, and um, I like the solitude. I like, uh, I used to always run with partners, you know, when I was younger, but now I actually like, it's a great time to think, go out and run trails on a gorgeous day or run the Grand Canyon. But I think it was just because my cousin had invited me that, that I, you know, I was there and I was like, wow, this would just be an amazing place to run. That's and I did kind of regret that I didn't do it when I was younger. Um, I certainly would have done it faster. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and and, and back in your head, you're like, God, I wish I was doing this when I was like, you know, in my thirties, and you know, I'd be flying down the trail. You know? um, but you have to work with what you have. Yes, and that's uh, that's leads to to my next question. What what keeps you really motivated to keep uh, running and challenge yourself is is more because of the love of running and to stay healthy or you are, you know, goal-driven that you establish new goals every year that you want to accomplish? Well, I love running most of the time anyway. Um, I think it's more about leading a life going forward, mm -hmm. um, including, I haven't retired yet, quote-unquote, retired from, from 
regular work yep yeah um and i'm just for me personally it feels right to to be doing new things and challenging yourself um rather than you know like people always ask about my knees like like any runner over 60 people ask them well, what about your knees yeah yeah i was going to ask that question <laughs> 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 my knees are fine the last time i had a knee injury was in college cross country <laughs> um but but it's a but the, the point is though it's it's about not using injury as an excuse maybe to stop um you know because you can always recover from uh, uh i rarely get injured but i had a groin groin pull a few years ago that actually made me stop for three days or whatever um but it's it's more about like leading a life uh, moving forward regardless of, of your age and that's what works for me some people love re being retired and going on cruises um, but for me it's more about um, getting out there and running especially the Sunday long run um, 90% of the time you know you the you know, endorphins kick in you just you just start feeling better and you're so glad you did it or I'm so glad I did it by the end of the run yeah and this is the only exercise that you primarily do or do you also uh, go to the gym, lift weights or is basically run and that's it? I, I run and I do upper body stuff after I run but just at the house like mm -hmm. chin ups, push ups and um, no, don't go to the gym. Cardiac exercise is really the most important thing so if you go to the gym, you know, like a treadmill workout um, but in terms of staying toned um, then yeah, you can do uh, weights aside from cardiac, or I do like I chin-ups and pull-ups work great for that, and push-ups mm -hmm. um, for me. So I just tie it into the end of my workout. After I run, I do the other and do some sit-ups. And, and you keep a diet pretty healthy all year long. Yeah, I'm not fanatical, but yes, diets and diets uh, important. Um, though ironically, like I said, in my case, it wasn't a factor in the original heart attack, but but yeah, like staying trim and healthy and, and actually if you run and do other exercise, you can get away with, you know, having some desserts and stuff and just, but, but don't eat fast food every day and, you know, don't eat French fries every day. Do, you, prior, do you prioritize protein take? And I ask this question because uh, as we get older, you know, muscle uh, starts to atrophy and protein is very important. Uh, to, to stay uh, on your body? Do, do you do any type of uh, special uh, macronutrient breakdown where you prioritize protein? No, not, not really. Um, I eat, I'm not a vegetarian, but I eat a lot less meat than I used to when I was younger. Mm -hmm. um, more inclined, you know, more inclined to pasta, you know, and, and that traditionally was always... Um, something that the distance runners took like the day before a marathon yeah got a lot of carbohydrates <laughs> yeah carbohydrates more than protein um but i think it's a pretty balanced diet and i haven't so far suffered like major you know muscle i mean it, i think the exercise is what really keeps you know if you're doing weights or if you're doing pull-ups and chin-ups and push-ups that works pretty well for me that really is a good way because that's your whole upper body mm -hmm. You know, and then the running takes care of your legs. Um, I mean, you still can do calf raises, or I mean, I did some stuff with weights when I was a teenager. Um, but I think most 
most health professionals and cardiologists would stress that it's the cardio workout. Yep. Yeah. You know, whether it's whether it's swimming, because also because a lot of people swim, and and that has the advantage. If you do have knee issues, then swimming is great because you're not putting weight on your knees. And the same with cycling. Yeah, I pre actually so, prefer cycling than running. Running to me is not. I, I'm not. I don't like running uh, mainly because of my knees. I have. Uh, arthritis and it's it's really painful but cycling is good i like it yeah well i grew up in germany as a teenager so i used to do a lot of cycling um but uh these days and i i've tried it out a few times but i think for me it's running and um but cycling is definitely it's great it's great exercise and like like you said so many people um do get have knee injuries or knee issues when they get older and it's a real pounding though trail running is better like i do my runs are heavily trail runs because it's softer surface mm -hmm. okay. so you're not on pavement but still um cycling takes the weight off your your body yeah. so it's 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 definitely i think for people that uh, people should really look at that as as an option and, and what is next for you rick do you have any plans uh, as far as running any challenge for 2023 that you are planning to do well i hate to get all hippy dippy but um <laughs> actually after i did the grand canyon under six hours um it really that's kind of like in a way that's like the old thing about you're kind of like overcoming nature mm -hmm. and instead i switched I mean, I still run here, but in the canyon, like the last time I hiked down to uh, the Tonto Trail, you know, which is right above the river gorge, and it was daybreak, and it was, you know, you're in the Grand Canyon, the sun's coming up, but there's um, prickly, prickly cactus blooming, um, you know, it's gorgeous. So I've become, I think, more zen about it. Uh, I, I don't see ever running the Grand Canyon again. I prefer, and I hike the Grandview Trail down to the Tonto. I prefer to hike it take it slower because uh, hiking hiking the Grand Canyon is still a real workout mm -hmm. you know coming back up is still very tough but uh, I'd, I'd rather appreciate and enjoy it than conquer it interesting interesting uh, and as far as book do you have any other project because usually we never stop on the first one I say that because I already published 28 uh, and I thought that I was <laughs> going to stop on the first one <laughs> Well, congratulations. <laughs> I'm going to have to Google your books. <laughs> um, I had a novel I worked on for years on and off. And I I used the pandemic because I was working remotely to get that finally done and out. It's called Beat. And it takes place in San Francisco in the 1970s. It's kind of what, what happens after the counterculture, you know. And it's kind of it was an interesting time because it's the beginning of punk and new wave music. Mm -hmm. I got that out, and that's out, and um, and you know, I did, did a little promotion behind that, and then it was okay, you know, got to finish the Grand Canyon book, um, and I'm working on something else that's non nonfiction. So, so I think uh, I think once you really commit to, you know, the, the, well, frankly, there's a finite endpoint approaching not to be a downer mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like at some point in your life it's now or never yep and and some people say well i'm gonna retire and i'll write my novel no write your novel you know while you're still working 
see if he even can do it or want to do it. Um, but at some point, yeah, it's part of achieving goals. Um, if you have a bucket list, and mine included the, the novel, and actually, not to plug the novel too much, but it's actually in the Canyon book, because the first time I was ever at the Grand Canyon was with, the hip, with my hippie girlfriend who inspired a character in the novel. Um, you know, going cross country in a VW bus and camping out and even hiking a little bit of the Bright Angel Trail. Um, we're talking like in the 1970s. But, uh, but yes, I am working on another nonfiction book and uh, um, hopefully I'll be shopping that next year and see how that goes. Oh, that's awesome, Rick. The 28 books, Yuri, tell me. 28. Like, tw yeah, 28 yeah. books. What, what kind well, of books? Um, mostly, mostly, I will say 90% is around cybersecurity, information security. Uh, which is oh, wow. my area of expertise. I did write one that is not technical, which is about my journey lo losing 100 pounds. Uh, it's called Ready, Set, Achieve. Um, that's talked about yeah. going from morbid obese to get back in shape. Um, a lot of change in, in, in my mindset and how I approach things. So it was uh, that was a good one. That's fantastic. I'm going to look that up. After we, we finish that, congratulations. Thank you. That's, Thank you. That's huge. That's an obvious, huge personal journey. And, and um, maybe a reason you're doing this podcast and something that you can impart to people. Yeah, because, uh, and that's why I cannot run, because when I was obese, I developed early arthritis and really hurt my knees because of the amount of weight that I used to carry on for years. Um, so after I lost weight, I still carrying the side effects of being obese for so long. Wow. So it's, it's great that you don't have anything on your knees at the age of 65 and you still healthy and running and you don't feel those, those things, you know? And I think that the, the key word here is consistency. You kept consistency over the years and you condition yourself to be that way. That's really what makes a difference. Yeah, because when I finally went back to running for, for good, we're pushing, what is it, 20, 25 years? More than that, 22, 26, uh, uh, almost 30. Mm -hmm. Almost 30 years of, of, of running and staying with it. Yeah, that's consistency. So people don't realize that it's not the routine that you build just doing things once every month that will change your life. It's really being consistency day after day, year after year, you know, that will build uh, your your body and the capabilities that you have. So I'm not surprised that even after the heart attack, you were able to overcome everything and, and get this on your bucket list because you were in shape and, and you were already conditioned to do those things. Right, but I think the rather than consi it's consistency, but I'd say the biggie is discipline. That that is all about getting your is all about getting my butt out the door, including on days when I don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. That's the hardest thing to do is is to motivate yourself and well and be consistent, like you were saying. Yeah, that's that it's just easy, and the older you get, the easier it is to make excuses. I really don't want to do it today, but but the rewards come from that consistency and getting your butt. If I ever did a running blog, it would be called, it's all about getting your butt out the door. <laughs> yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And you brought a great point about discipline because people usually say, how do you stay motivated? I said, well, I, I do not. 
motivation comes and goes is the discipline yeah. to, to do it when you don't want to do it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That, that's, that's perfect, Yuri. That's, that, it's so true. Because, yes, people assume, oh, you, you must be really motivated. Uh, you know, it's, about, it's, it's about getting out and do, doing whatever it is, cycling, walking, hiking, running, um, swimming, uh, doing it on days when you're not really in the mood. Because, like I said, 90% of the chance, the time, you will be glad you did. And you'll feel so much better once you start doing it and certainly by the finish. And, and it has it has its own reward and your body's in better shape you know you're you're healthier you're 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 um, you live a, you know a more what's the right word uh, it's a higher quality of life yes and, and and your overall performance even at work you have more mental clarity everything's changed I remember even my performance at work when I was obese compared to after is different. I'm way more dynamic. I think faster. So everything's changed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And your blood is getting, your brain is getting all that oxygen from, uh, from your, the blood circulating and your whole body is. But yes, you're going to be sharper. And that's why you probably don't have plans to retire, do you? <laughs> no. Well, the, the TV job at some point. But I think... Um, that's why I think when people say that they want to write a novel, it's important to, or whatever book, start doing it, you know, start doing it while you're still working because that can, because that's something you really want to do. Um, then that's a segue. That's something you can do later in life. If, if it's like, wow, I really like this and, and I want to continue that. Yeah. You know, rather than retiring and then it's like, Oh my God, what do I do now? Oh, that novel why I, I don't know if I'm really <laughs> yeah and there are so many people that postpone all their goals to after retire and they they end up not doing it because you know if you are going to wait until you are away from work to do things it's like a waste of time you're wasting your time not doing what you really want to do I totally agree and I think travel is more rewarding the younger you are actually and you're more into it so rather, you know, like travel, like I said, I was lucky and fortunate. I grew up in Europe for six years. So we did tons of traveling. Um, and it's incredibly educational and, and it's great to do it when you're younger and also in your 20s and 30s, mm -hmm. you know, like um, rather than take a cruise, you know, when you're 70 or whatever. Yeah. And not that there's anything wrong with that. But, well, but the but, stamina is not the same. You know, sometimes you want to... Because, for example, I, I'm reaching 50, and one of the things that I love is routine. I love my routine. I love knowing exactly what time I'm going to the gym and what, uh, what time I'm going to do things. And I'm more, when I'm traveling, I have to fully readapt my routine. Yes. And uh, it's, sometimes it's not as fun as it used to be. So uh, for someone that is very routine-based like me, it's, uh, traveling is good to decompress, but at the same time, it, it disturbs a little bit of the, the routine, which is important to me. I totally relate to that. But when I travel, and then I'm glad I did, because it's good to unstick, unst unstick yourself from your routine, um, it, it kind of changes your perspective, yes. especially if you go to another country. It, it, it's, it's like, wow, okay, it was so hard to get my butt in gear and go, go on this trip, but wow, I'm really glad I did it. Yeah, and, and I'm not sure if you feel this, but after you go, mainly internationally, and you come back, you have way more sense of gratitude, and you start appreciating more your routine. It's like a, it's like a boot, right? You are refreshing all your sense uh, of your mm -hmm. daily life. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, no absolutely. Rick, this was an amazing conversation. Congratulations for this journey. Congratulations for the book, Six Hours Running for My Life in the Grand Canyon. Uh, I'm really looking forward to, to see more coming from you as far as books and uh, keep it up. Uh, very inspiring story. Keep running and doing the things that you love. Well, thanks, Yuri. It's been a real pleasure. And I'm going to look for that book of yours. I appreciate it. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining today's episode. Uh, this is going to be the last episode of, of the year, episode 65. So well, I appreciate everyone that subscribed. We have a lot more coming next year.